This is season five of Flute Unscripted. Hi, I'm your host, Katie Massad, and I sit down with a new artist every week and share their stories with you. This podcast is brought to you by Flute Center of New York, the marketplace for flutes. Join us, subscribe, rate, and review us. Use this podcast promo code LISTEN for some special perks. Get $50 off any flute or accessory purchase of $4.99 or more, and 10% off any sheet music order, including free shipping on all orders over $50. Once again, that's code LISTEN. Flutist and educator Keith Underwood is a flute guru. Flutists of all ages and abilities flock to him for his advice and to unlock their hidden potential. Keith's methods are sometimes unusual. He makes use of breathing bags, chopsticks, rhythmic shakers, and spirometers, just to name a few. His out-of-the-box techniques have proven to be effective in addressing the issues of the modern flutist and provide solutions to difficult repertoire too. I had the honor of experiencing Keith's teaching myself as a student of his for two years, and I can say that knowing that there are practical and methodical solutions to every problem certainly makes one feel like they can overcome any struggle or obstacle in their playing with creative thinking and consistent work. One thing I didn't get to do much with Keith when I was his pupil was discover more about his personal life and his own path to the career that he's made for himself. It was a pleasure to sit down with my old teacher and get to know this side of him a little bit better. Uh, well, Keith, thanks so much for making time for me and uh, taking the time out of your really busy schedule. I know it's kind of hectic uh, for our interview. Um, I have known you personally a very long time. You're yeah. my teacher here at NYU, which is where we are right now. And I owe certainly a lot to you, as do many flutists. Um, it's been almost 40 years, I think, since you've started teaching, oh, yeah. uh, which was in the 80s. Yeah. Um, and you've inspired a lot of musicians and have a reputation now of being like the flute guru uh i'm curious about your start because i think a lot of people know maybe more about you now um but not about your beginnings can you share how you got started on the flute i um like uh i grew up in connecticut i had i started playing the flute haphazardly like i i my parents weren't musicians they were just kind of parents that got you music lessons hmm. so i had i had piano lessons when i was a kid and i wasn't particularly into the coordinated enough to figure out the <laughs> yeah, piano yeah, that left hand so right then hand. The, then i had like flute i had flute lessons early on but i didn't really play i i to me i wasn't really playing the flute like i wasn't focusing on like getting i was just random with it sure then the first thing that really caught my attention was like this is this is kind of ridiculous but my friends and i were really getting in we were like i was more into history and reading medieval history mm -hmm. and like lord of the rings yeah. and stuff like that not not so too I surprised start, I so to i say. the first <laughs> musical thing that i started to really get attracted to was like renaissance music sure and you know and people had a there was a record store that special that sold recorders and things mm -hmm. and and, the, and were, was people who played in the new york pro musica yeah and um 
I started, so I, I just went from metal, when Renaissance music to playing recorder. And then I had the record and I started to really get into it. And my friends had a little, we started playing Renaissance music. And then one friend of mine built his own harpsichord kit. And then we started <laughs> playing like Baroque music. And I played a little bit of flute. And then I, I started to get back into playing flute because trio sonatas had flute and things mm -hmm. like that. And so, and then we, we had like a little chamber music. Um, we took a chamber music class at a, at a community music school in New Haven called Neighborhood Music School. Did you know where you were going to go to college at that point? I was going, various things, life things occurred. Like my dad was a teacher at Yale Divinity School and he had taught at Westland University in mm, Middletown, Connecticut. Yeah. And my dad passed away when I was in my senior year in high school. And I just, my suddenly my, it was like a big over, you know, thing in my family and I just wanted to stay close to sure. New Haven and and you know I uh, I I wound up going to I wound up a starting to study with Sal Amato the scene the the um uh, in fall of like my senior year in high school and then he just made he was such a great flute teacher I suddenly felt like whoa this I could you know I I felt like so much more and I and you know things had just happened in my family and i just i just sort of got into music in a way i didn't imagine then i went to wesley and think i was going to be a history major yeah and i just kept taking flute lessons and then i it was like the early the late 60s early 70s so everybody was going to college at that time mm -hmm. thinking they were going to be history teachers or thinking they were going to be like um physicists or something like that <laughs> yeah. and they wound up majoring in paper making and, <laughs> and flute yeah so like i don't think if it for me i don't think if i i don't think if it if it hadn't been 1968 and 69 it might have been different for where you. everybody was do your own thing yeah. th there's no way that there would be keith musician yeah i if it for me if it was like 1990 or something like that I probably would have gone to college and no instrument would have left a case. Right. And I would be like panicking. <laughs> but at the time, everybody was just, you know, like play. I, and then, you know, I feel like my flute playing sucked sufficiently that like I couldn't. I played chamber music a little bit, you know, in college and things like that. But I feel like, but at the same time, I, my friends, I met people, I played a little bit of like, I was interested in jazz and rock mm -hmm. and you know we you know that was the era of you know Jimi Hendrix and Cream yeah. and all these things and blues based bands and then every a lot of friends of mine from high school were starting to play guitar and I started playing with little rock bands around there so like some of the best guitar players in Connecticut played wanted to play with me and none of the classical people would choose they wouldn't play with me so how do you go from that all the way to yale with Tom well what Snifinger? happened is what happened is uh, is that as as the um my college career went along i got i started getting better yeah and and then and then my teacher had sal turned me on to ron paul records and then i became totally obsessed with ron paul mm -hmm. records as anybody who knows me they know that i'm yes. fairly off the deep end <laughs> yeah. about ron paul and in um, every speed yeah every speed of yeah. ron paul like what the hell yeah. you know and i and i 
I just, um, there would be no Keith musician without there being Ron Paul records. Yeah. And I saw him play many times and I just got so into it. And then once again, people sort of, uh, my teacher sort of was retiring from teaching. I started teaching in this little music, the same music school that I, you know, went to and studied with Grace Feldman. And I started teaching a little bit in that school for $6 an hour. And um, times have changed. And then people told me, people told me once again, they said, well, when you, when you get out, before you get out of college, you should take some lessons from this guy, Tom Knifehanger, who just started teach this. Tom had been teaching at Yale for a couple years or something like that. And somebody introduced me to him mm -hmm. and I played for him. And then he took me as a student. And then he was like, whoops, he was a really, really good musician. My other teacher was a great musician, yeah. but Tom was a comprehensive, great musician who played, went yeah. to Cleveland Institute as a piano major and then play, also played the flute. And he would play, you know, he just, you know, was a wonderful to work on flute repertoire. Right. And you two hit it off. And we hit it off. Yeah. yeah. And then I wound, I studied with him for a year between college and, and mm. graduate school not really thinking I necessarily at that time I didn't really think I was going to go to graduate school I just wanted to study with him right and then he liked me and so like we it was sort of inevitable that I would go to Yale and so I went so I went to Yale and um, then moved to the city because all my friends who'd been to Yale were moving to the city right is there uh, anything else that I mean you talked a little bit about going back to school for history and that you would have done that yeah is there a career that you could see your life having gone in that direction for instead history, of music college um, history teacher yeah for that, sure that yeah me. <laughs> yuck i mean um yes well but nonetheless like that that's not made, very different from what i mean you're a professor but uh, yeah i'm a now, professor and also and, and also i i feel like um i'm fairly like i i play old, as you know i play old flutes yeah and um I kind of love playing instruments that have a history to them. So yep. like this flute sitting next to me, this is Haynes. Actually, Phil helped me helped me buy this Haynes. You know, like <laughs> I asked him for advice when he was still in Dallas. And this was Tom Knifanger's Gold Haynes flute that he was yeah. playing when I was studying with him. And this is a 40, this is Haynes number 42,000. Tom, Tom had Haynes make it like according to so-called Ron Paul's specs because Tom loved Ron Paul's playing. And then when Tom passed away, his family asked me if I was interested in trying his flutes. And um, so they let me have this flute for a long period of time before deciding to buy it. And then one way or another, there's a few flutes that I have that are unusually sort of historical. Mm -hmm. Like I, when I was studying with Tom, I bought, I bought from him. He had a Louis lot that I bought from him that is a 5,000 Louis lot that has a piece of paper, has a letter that Vern Powell wrote to its owner, wow. who was George Laurent, the principal flutist <laughs> of the kidding. Boston Symphony. And Laurent told, wrote, wrote on the back of the letter, said, Mr. Powell, I can't tell you about the hit. I, I can't tell you when my flute was born, but my teacher, Philippe Gobert, bought oh, that man. flute for me <laughs> when I was a student at the Paris Opera or at the at Paris Conservatory, and I... I I um, won my Paris pre prize, Paris Conservatory prize, playing that flute, and you know he told little stories about it and stuff yeah. like that. So that's Laurent's flute, and then another flute I have is was Albert Tipton's 
old pearl platinum not, flute. Not a shabby collection. So that's, so yeah. that's, I mean, I didn't really think of myself as a flute collector. I just liked the feeling of playing old pals and old Haynes's and then the French flutes and things like that. And I just stuck in that area. And then now I'm really into Baroque flute. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll ever be a good Baroque <laughs> flute player, but I'm fascinated by like the Quant's flute book. The tr- I'm reading the treatises mm-hmm. and, and I love the, I love trying right now. I've, I've, if people who know me over the last seven years or so is like I'm really interested in adapting Baroque flute techniques to modern flute. I feel like I feel like you there's so there's so many amazing things that ways that people talked about flute playing in the eighteenth and nineteenth century and that the technique got technique got kind of like support and blasting into the I mean, Sure. There's certain subtleties of the way people talk that's like amazingly wonderful so that's what i'm into speaking of old flutes do you think though that flutes nowadays modern flutes are a little too easy to play i have that i'm i'm one of those people that i i wish i think if i hang out with modern flute makers i i'm it's not that i'm saying like i i can totally imagine a modern flute that doesn't that's like totally different from an old flute Mm -hmm. i just think there's a little bit of um uh, I like more resistance in flutes. Like sure. older flutes are more resistant. Yep. And um, I like the, I even like, God help me, the intonation in old <laughs> flutes that everybody thinks sucks yeah. so badly. Yeah, that you I might be actually, alone on that one. <laughs> I actually <laughs> like, like it. it. Yeah. I could imagine you could have different intonation, but not quite as different as things became because like, you know, it's always you when you shift things around, you gain something and you lose something. Mm-hmm. You, you you think of the high notes as being really sharp, so you make the left hand lower, like a C sharp. You yeah. make it lower. You make you think the low notes are really flat, so you move the the right hand upward. But now now your low D is more in tune, and your middle D is much sharper. And you, I mean, so do you think you teach so many people, and I feel like you've you've taught every generation so far. Do you notice that uh, younger people now that have a lot of modern flutes have a different way of playing because of the flute or? Do you yeah. 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 I feel like, I feel like, um, like some, like, um, who is it was talking to me? Oh, I teach this guy who collects, there's a really nice guy, Lee Grant down in Virginia who I teach on FaceTime and he loves old French flutes so much louis lots and mm-hmm. bonvilles and things like that and he and he watches my classes online when i'm teaching he says you know i see you teaching young flute players and they're all playing or they're all playing um modern flutes he says do you ever have them play your flutes i said like ooh, <laughs> good point yeah he says like totally i think different. they should i think you should and he's saying you need to make them blow in. You need to make, you know, like you need to have them try French flutes. And then, you know, because like they're they're playing pieces by Taffanel and Gobert. Yeah, yeah. And they're, and they're listening to recordings of Rompal and they're, but they've never blown into an right. old Haynes. They've it's a different experience. They've never blown into a Louis Lott. And certain make, certain makers like, um, uh, uh, certain makers like Altus and um, 
uh, Emmanuel mm-hmm. and Arista and people like that are they're aware they're very aware of French flutes and they 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 will you know certain makers say well this is like a Bonville t- like Arista flute Miguel Arista the head joints are like this is a Bonville taper mm-hmm. uh, all both Arista brothers this is a Bonville taper this is a Louis Lot taper they, they're aware of these things and and the flutes have a certain kind of like Frenchy thing to them within being modern flutes yeah but I feel yeah. like I feel you should have a historical flute petting yeah, zoo. Yeah, or historical flute day. Yeah. Historical yeah. flute day, and yeah. then you should you should have like, I'll I'll be the impresario of Perfect. the <laughs> of the historical flute day. You guys, because you guys have like tons of historical yeah, flutes at any given yeah. time. Keith loves to geek out about all the different flutes from different eras, and is equally intrigued by different genres of music as well. He's been recruited by all kinds of instrumentalists, ensembles, and vocalists to help identify tools to improve breathing, performing without tension, and playing with ease. He himself is very laid back and easygoing, and when he plays, you can tell he really practices what he preaches. I was fascinated to learn more about how he harnessed those natural traits of his to fill in on last-minute gigs for his mentor and teacher, Tom Neifinger. Tom entrusted Keith with a lot of musical opportunities, and the two had a special relationship. Keith carries on the traditions of Tom's playing and teaching, and even plays on Tom's old flute, too. You're really great at adapting, I feel like, and you always fit into any situation, and you're quick on your feet. Um, Is that part of why, when you were studying with Tom, he kind of took you under his wing, and he gave you a lot of gigs that were all very last minute? Yes, last minute. (laughs) (laughs) Were you ever stressed by anything? You seem always kind of cool and collected about... I felt... I mean, I... He put me in situ. He put me in awkward situations, like because he bailed out. I mean, sometimes, occasionally, he bailed out at very last minute. So I had like I played like the dress rehearsal. Oh my god, <laughs> of a concert. Yeah, and then and then and then the conductor was none too pleased sure. that Tom had bailed. Yeah. So like I was walking into a stressful situation. Yeah. So I. Yeah, I mean, welcome to New York. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Once how it goes. Maybe the most, one of the most. I mean, I played I played the Titanic um, song with Celine Dion at Radio City Music Hall. When was um, that a Tom gig that? Got no, that was oh, a okay, Tom that was gig. A but I played on Irish. <laughs> yeah. I'd been playing Irish Whistle for like um, Secret Garden for yeah. that show, mm-hmm. and then when the Titanic movie came out, and that became a big hit. Celine Dion was supposed to sing with Barbara Streisand a duet on the Grammys in 1998, and then Barbara Streisand bailed, and then they decided they were going to do that thing, and then somebody heard that I'd done Irish Whistle, and so they called me and said, you know, we're going to do we're going to do this thing, you know, this this song, you know, like you think you could play you could play the opening, and I said. I probably can if I have the right if the right whistle. I had a collection of whistles for doing that, and they said, "Okay, we're going to have the producer call you in, in like a half an hour." So I went out to the Whiz near where I live, yeah. when there used to be when there places used to be that around, you could buy yeah. CD, and I bought the CD of the Titanic <laughs> thing, and then you know, like the guy called me like half an hour later and said. And I, I'm taking whistles, and he's just like, so you think you could do it? And I went, and I said, okay, get down to Radio City Music Hall oh, by four, o'clo- 4 o'clock, and then it was like that. And <laughs> that was pretty interesting. Yeah, that sounds stressful, but you did it. But I did you it. pulled it off. Yeah, no, and once I did a thing that was a musical that was being recorded at the public theater 
that was uh, by the guy who wrote Hair and so mm-hmm. forth. And um, and um, that w- there was a that was a recording that was go- a through no retakes and stuff like that. And somebody called me at the last minute because the flute player had had an injury. And uh, and I had to play the recording session without ever having heard the music. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they just put no the music. No pressure. Yeah, 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 things like that. Yeah, that's that's, yeah. that's the stuff. But I think it's suited to you. I don't know. You, kind you seem of su- to. Uh, yeah. To one of the nicest. Off of it. One of the nicest things you know, like as far as uh, trying to be adaptable. I mean, I love, I love, oh, I love old flutes, and I love you know like trying to figure out where's the like kind of where's the scale on this thing and stuff like mm-hmm. that but i but um when when i was in japan once i was playing a concert at there's a store in do you know the store called teobald as in teobald boom Beam. yeah Berm, it's yeah. like the old flute no. store of tokyo oh. it they only sell they only sell um old old instruments hmm. and um uh they sponsored me doing a concert because I would I played old instruments and they they said uh, I was going to play like a wood flute that I'd gotten in Brazil I was a conical berm flute and then in the plane trip going over there that flute the head joint cracked oh no and um, yeah a flute that had lived in Brazil for yeah. a century and then now it's in a plane overhead yeah but the head joint had cracked and um, I said like I really wanted to play this thing on on a wood flute, the Bach partita on a wood keyed flute. I didn't play Baroque flute at that time. And, and they said, well, here were, they, they came to, they laid out a bunch of wood flutes and, um, I sort of chip picked through wood flute. And, and then this guy who had been at the store when I was like there the year before a guy who had hung out with me a teeny bit mm-hmm. came up to me and he said, I, w- I would like you to play my flute. And it was like a conical bore, Louis Lott, wow, which was the most beautiful flute, and he came up to me right before I went on. I, I had one wood flute. He came up to me. He says, "I want you to play my flute," and I went. I played like a C sharp. I said, "Okay," and I played the Bach Partita <laughs> on that flute. Yeah. And then I, I, I could. Then I, when the concert was over, I said, "I can't believe that flute's so, so amazing. I can't believe you, you, um, you were willing to give." He says, "I would never lend that flute to anybody." But you, yeah. And he said because when I, when I heard you playing at the, you know, the, at the shop, you know, last year, you seemed. It seemed like when you when you played these different flutes in the store that you asked them what they wanted to play like. So I knew you wouldn't play. You would find you would like want to know what my flute yeah, wanted to yeah. play. So that was like about the <laughs> nicest thing that yeah, that's a compliment right ever there. said to yeah. me. So. Yeah. Um, do you feel like I didn't know that about your your dad passing away when you were young, and yeah. then Tom was kind of like a surrogate, a, a surrogate father yeah, to you too, and then my he passed. Yeah, sort of yeah. Fathers. That must yeah. have been tough to yeah. lose them. Yeah. It was like yeah, it's like you lose your dad, and then then you suddenly are around and not really thinking. Being you suddenly are around these really strong, yeah, um, personalities. But I I don't know whether I would have been the same you know a tragedy it fo in a weird way sometimes that sort of like makes you like want 
like want to carry on the legacy in a way. Yeah, yeah. or like, yeah, or like my dad was a history teacher and I was going yeah. to be a history teacher, and then I, the music it became like I just immersed myself in music. So I, I think I had a weird kind of um, fixation on playing, on playing better, and on playing classical music. And a lot of people, you know, people say, "Oh, who encouraged?" In a certain way, a lot of people discouraged. They thought I was starting too late. Yeah, because yeah, relatively t- speaking, it is later yeah, than a lot of people. They thought I was starting too late, and they were like trying to discourage to me from to to disabuse me of you know like, including, including I love Julius Baker, but including him, yeah. I played for him at my a friend of mine had a lesson with him. I went to I was going to study thinking of studying with him. I played for him, and he said like. Okay, well, why are you here? And I said, well, I'm thinking of going to graduate school. And Julius Baker said to 19-year-old Keith, you couldn't get into graduate. There's no school that would take you playing like that. And I was like, <laughs> well, well, well. Yeah. You know, and then, and then, you know, like five years later, I met him at a at a flat festival and played duets with him. And I hoped he didn't know who I that was. He, you know? Did he? Do you know? If I don't ever... think so. Yeah. He was like, wow, where did you come from? And I, I'd been studying with Tom. And it's yeah. like... You know, like, that's one thing I'd say, like, when you're young, you can think, like, you can be told that you're really bad, but you, if you keep your focus, like, you can learn things, and then, like... There's a big learning Young curve. people can change yeah. so far, yeah. so fast, so that you can not get in the school of your choice, or any school, and you could, you could say, like, ooh, I don't know whether this is the right thing to do, but if you have the right information, and you... And you put things together. It's like five years later, you you're a different animal. Yeah. So you know, I would encourage people from my my evolution by saying like I was pretty bad at times that I should have been a lot. Yeah. Better. It makes you uh, not discount anybody. Everybody yeah, not discount. Ha- yeah, yeah, yeah. So like I I've been through this with lots of people who were kind of low flutist on the on the totem pole at their mm-hmm. school, and when I when I gave them some piece of information suddenly they got jobs yeah you know yeah things like that oh, since teaching is a, a big aspect of what you do at manis nyu and queens and privately too um when you're teaching so many lessons in a row i was just wondering logistically how you stay so fresh and uh alert for every lesson because i think a lot of times other teachers could find themselves kind of getting exhausted and fatigued and you seem to just like never end with <laughs> with your energy or is um, that all a facade keith it's a facade okay i'm exhausted <laughs> but I, I i don't know i like the teaching thing i've done for so long yeah and um people through it i don't know my personality is such that like people say are you are you kind of like mad scientist? Do you do you sit around, you know, like at, at home, like coming up, thinking about like reading linguistic books and thinking about like, you know, weird things that you're going to dump on your students and things mm-hmm. like that? And I, I say like, um, semi, yes, but, but a lot of it is, a lot of it is that by interacting with different people over time, like one of the most amazing things to me is like so many amazing flute players have played for me. Yeah including Wib and uh, yeah. and they and um Bart and all these people but so many people I've hung out with so many people and then I I try to come up with something that's interesting to them so like when I come up with a weird technique like 
Um, many of my word techniques come out of the necessity of teaching some person. So when they say, oh, are you a mad scientist? Do you, will you sit <laughs> home? I said, no, you made me you what are, I am. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like the one lesson at a time. You. If I fix somebody yeah. by saying something, if I fix something in somebody and then I, then I, you know, poof, it suddenly yeah, it works really well. It's like it came out of that interaction with that person. Well, so I don't think I would have, despite of having really good teachers, I don't think I would necessarily know how to play as well if I, if it weren't for the teach. students I'm yeah. teaching. I really rely on my students to make me better. Oh, what a perfect one-liner right there. <laughs> <Ba-boom>. <laughs> well, <laughs> you seem to always have a solution for everything, though. Has there ever been anyone that's just stumped you? I've never heard you say... You know, I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know how to fix that. No, I don't think that's ever happened yeah. to me. I've, you know, like you I click with certain people more. You know, just it's human nature. Right. Sort of, you click with people. A number of times, I've worked with people with, um, you know, focal dystonia. You sure. know, where their fingers are yep. betraying them, or 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 their embouchures, and that's really that's a pretty stumping thing because it's. It's like rerouting somebody's. We just mind. did an episode with uh, Stephanie Mortimer about that, and right. she shared a little bit about yeah. her experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes, sometimes I've that's just like an individual thing. Sometimes somebody can be really far gone, and I've, I've kind of fixed them. Yeah. Other times people can, you know, like, uh, it's a bit. Ba- other times it's a different type of of a battle. So I just. I just I'll take I'll take a shot at it. I don't claim I don't like if I fix somebody I don't hang a shingle out saying like has fixed focal distance. <laughs> right. I, I don't really yeah I like being fairly under the radar. Sure. Um, you know, <laughs> like the first time I did a flute convention, somebody said we want you to come to L.A. to do the flute convention. I said like well how do you know about me? And you said, you know, and she said what do I need to do? And she said, she said I said. You know, shall I send you publicity material? She said, we know you don't have any publicity <laughs> material. Like I say, I said, like, that's okay. You know, like yeah. a, a, the person who's the chair of the convention said, we we want to have you because we hear your name all the time. Right, it's we true. We don't see any You've publicity kind of material, but, but we now. hear your yeah. name all the time. So, like, so you must be doing something. Yeah. So I rely on that. I don't really rely on. It's like on the word of mouth. and Yeah, the, I rely and, on the yeah. word of mouth, you know, and people's like, well, how how did you get to Brazil and Japan and Mexico? And I, I don't have a manager, but I just have, I just have students from different places. Who, yeah. I just you know, want to share all yeah, the yeah, knowledge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, or, or airily. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, who I studied with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm without getting into to too much detail if you don't want to, but, um, you did, you do travel a lot and you have a really busy schedule and I know that you've had some health issues more recently. Yeah. Um, do you think that that impacted your, your schedule and your outlook on kind of what you wanted to do from from then on or yeah, have you slowed I down would, a little bit yes i have yeah. slow i relatively speaking i have slowed down a little bit i don't really want to do like week-long classes yeah sure like the entire summer long yeah and um i feel like i need to i really want to make recordings right now that'd I, be great yeah we need yeah. more recordings and then of people you. say like have you written a book no. Yeah, there you go. What I want, but I think item. I need to. I think I need to do things like so that you know people can hear me play. I I do like to play. I, yeah, I just I know ne- you do. I'm just not the yeah. kind of person that like 
put energy into recording. I'm really happy that I'm about to do a recording with my Brazilian friend. Is this the friend, you know, I saw a quote online somewhere that you were talking about your friend and that both of you say that you're going to get each other into prison somehow so that you have some time locked up That's to right, get some right, th- right. some things we were, done. Oh, yes. Yeah. Wow. You saw that. Quote? I did. Yeah, I found that. Yeah. Is this the same person? Teco. Yeah. That's one of my Brazilian friends, but it's Leia Freire, who's oh, okay. a great composer who's coming up here and I'm going to record her music in November. Yeah. With Hadar. Oh, funny. Um, and uh, Barbara, my pianist, from, yeah. from the, who accompanies my class in California. But that quote, I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah. He well, might, I, yeah. I can't believe, yeah, because Teco and I, Teco is so, so, such a busy musician in Sao Paulo. And then and I, I said, like, well, we're, we're not really, maybe if we can, maybe we can commit crimes and wind up in prison, then we can. We <laughs> yeah, can you'll like, finally write, have some write, alone time. Have some downtime. Get some time, stuff done. Of, yeah. like, well, I'm not really a criminal type, you know, like, and well, I'm, I'm not either. It's like, well, let's pr- commit crimes for each other. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm sure you could think of something. Yeah, there yeah. has to be some, some Shoplift, fraud. Shoplifting yeah. or something yeah. like that. Uh, tax evasion. That's a good tax one. Tax evasion. Yeah. That'd be good. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't want to take any more of your time up. Uh, it's been really valuable so far. And thanks for sharing everything, Keith. Thanks and, so much. Yeah, it was a pleasure having you. Yeah. Keith has found the niche that suits him. And it was interesting to hear where he draws his inspiration from, from each and every student that he interacts with. He's passionate about teaching and sharing knowledge, so it's no surprise that he sees himself as a history professor in an alternate life. I do hope he finds the time soon to put out more recordings and write books, all so that we have a little bit more of his insights at our fingertips. Until then, you can check out what Keith is up to on his website, keithflute.com, and access his archival masterclasses and seminars. Thank you, Keith Underwood. Recordings on this episode highlight Keith's playing and include the Cimarosa Concerto for Two Flutes, Isomorphic Plenum by Harold Oliver, and Tenzone by Chester Biscardi. This has been an episode of Flute Unscripted. This podcast is sponsored by the Flute Center of New York. Visit our website at flutesforsale.com for the largest selection of new and pre-owned instruments. Remember to use this podcast promo code LISTEN for discounts on flutes and sheet music. Special thanks to our owner, Phil Unger, the Flute Center team, and Stefan Haskoldson for our theme music. Music